Hello and welcome to Audio Mission from the Church Mission Society. I'm Trevor Smith. Our theme this month is one of the five marks of mission of the Anglican Communion, to teach, baptise and nurture new believers. So to South America and the northern corner of Argentina, where mission partners Ed and Murray Bryce seem to almost be tripping over people yearning to discover faith, but not necessarily in the place you or they might have expected. Jeremy Woodham met them on a visit to CMS in Oxford and was particularly interested in Mari's ministry. Her words are translated by Ed. Bueno, este, después de trabajar eh, varios, muchos años con niños en Paraguay. After many years working with children in Paraguay, when I arrived in Argentina, I thought that I would be continuing to work with children. I, I fairly soon realised that it, it wasn't going to work that way, so I quickly... Uh, removed myself from the Sunday school until I found uh, the path which it resulted it, it, it turned out to be f- relatively easily for me to approach uh, the women in northern Argentina I realized that this was the, 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 the pathway to follow and develop relationships with these women and and really quite a number of them have come to Christ. So this was obviously the way that God was leading me to accompany these women in their walk with, with Jesus and, uh, and make new contacts. I, I was really surprised how easy it, it seemed to be able to make, make uh, develop these relationships with the women and that they were prepared to open their hearts to me and and um, and share their burdens and their concerns and worries and we were able to um, share with them uh, my faith I was making it, Bolivia isn't very far away from the town we live in and I was I'd made a trip to Bolivia and was on my way back and the way it works is that um, in the, the taxis will carry lots of different people and they wait until the taxi is full that makes it slightly cheaper and so Mary was returning from Bolivia in a taxi and they began to converse with this lady about almost anything until we started t- talking about God and that, and that very afternoon I invited her to come to, to my house and uh, le voy a contar the um, when she she told us afterwards that when Mary invited her into the house, she was a bit taken aback and was rather frightened. She thought, "Is this lady going to kill me or something?" Uh, but she said, "But she felt so much peace in the house that she decided to stay." And uh, and so Mary shared the gospel with her, and and she gave her life to Christ uh, that very afternoon. She says she she still considers herself, although she doesn't go to any church. She certainly doesn't consider herself to be a Protestant, and very much considers herself to be a Roman Catholic. But um, but she's very happy to come and study the Bible, pray with us. I know you were part of a big uh, evangelistic campaign, which mm. ended very exciting um, mm. a couple of years ago. But it almost seems like the, in, in quotes, chance relationships have been more fruitful than than results of the big campaign. Absolutely. I mean, we, we, this really surprised us. <laughs> the campaign was was absolutely fantastic to take part in. We had an excellent fellowship with all the other people who were working there. We really saw God at work. The, the, the message was preached clearly. Um, and people seemed to respond. But as you say, the, the further visits really didn't produce a further response from the people. They seemed to be quite satisfied 
to receive answers to prayer of one sort or another, different miraculous healings on quite a number of occasions. And yet when we visited them, they were often uh, almost cold, really, about the whole thing. So that was a bit of a disappointment, well, to say the least, it was a bit of a disappointment. But God has more than compensated for that by, as you see, these almost chance um, encounters with people when you, all of a sudden you just realise that God is moving in this way we've got to you know go with it basically so yes that very much has been the case and um, a, somewhat disconcerting but nonetheless very exciting <laughs> one of the most recent cases was the beginning of this earlier in this year Marie needed somebody to do the ironing she rang up a friend the friend rang up somebody else the lady came to our house opened her heart to marry because she had a major problems with her husband. They were separated three times. He was very violent. So Mary said, well, the best thing to do is for you to bring your husband as well and we can talk to both of you. She rang up her husband on the cell phone. He came and there and then they both gave their lives to Christ. It was quite extraordinary. So the guy came to the house. He said, it's all my fault. <laughs> I've never heard anything like that, really. Somebody being so prepared to recognise their own errors in a, in a relationship problem. And uh, so we said, well, look, you know, this is all we can offer you, but we believe that it is, uh, it is the new start that you need. And they, yeah, they both gave their lives to Christ in that moment and are beginning to see changes in their relationship with each other uh, and in their relationship with their children. Please do pray for Ed and Mari, especially for the marriage course they've recently started, which includes the couple we've heard about. Karobia Njogu is the training coordinator for CMS Africa. He spent a few days at CMS's Oxford office recently, and Jeremy Woodham met up with him to ask more about that part of CMS Africa's work and about how he had nurtured his own calling. CMS Africa sees itself as helping build the capacity of churches, to catalyze a holistic transforming mission. And so what we've done is uh, developed uh, discipleship programs, training programs, addressing mindsets and perspectives and the assumptions that people hold about life, about uh, ministry, and hoping to align those with biblical truth and uh, Christians can live, uh, not just uh, become better disciples of Jesus, and so making Christ known and followed in everyday life. So church and ministry and mission is not just Sunday, but in everyday, everyday activity. There's a common thread that's something about the people you're working with, African Christians, having the answers. They've already got their answers to the, to the yes. needs of the day, to the needs of their community. Yes, the discernment, the identification of local resources and using those for the meeting of local needs to the glory of the Lord. So there are several themes. Stewardship is a big theme within CMS Africa. Working alongside the local church is a, is a big thing for CMS Africa. We're not an NGO. We work alongside the local church. And even if we, we end up build, working, training NGOs or other people, we still identify a local church. And we see that as God's primary agency for local transformation. And seeing the church, getting the church to realize it can catalyze. It can be this seed that germinates and grows into a big tree, as Jesus said, and you know, birds can, people can live off the fruit of it. Can you tell us a, your own journey, very briefly, in terms of discovering Christian faith for yourself and then how your perspective changed on what that meant for, you, for your life? 
I became a Christian when I was um, 13, I think, and I responded to a fire and brimstone sermon. There are many of those preached at uh, when people are that age, and I didn't want to go to hell. So I responded, but uh, there wasn't much discipleship after that in terms of being rooted, going to church. The programs were not deep. It wasn't very widespread. So I really got lost after that and uh, floundered throughout the world and finally rededicated when I was 18 and finishing high school. So now, how did you discover that depth? It was during my one-year internship at Nairobi Chapel in Nairobi. It's a big uh, non-denominational church. That, uh, you know, the, the objective of the internship is to develop leaders, character formation, and expose young people to ministry and as a real career option. I think those were the objectives then. And I did through, I went through two training workshops. One was a biblical social justice training. And I realized that God actually cares about institutions, about society, about systems, about poverty. It, it came out so powerfully. And it was a thread throughout the Bible done by this theologian. Um, at, uh, now it was called Next. Now it's AIU. And then two months later, I was very proactive about wanting to learn because I was just soaking it all in. There's something, Christianity has to be offering something in the world. And so internship was really a place. And two months later after the justice workshop, I attended a, really the Samaritan strategy. It had just been new in Africa. And I attended a two and a half day vision conference. And, you know, I thought I was clever and I was objective and I could see things clearly. I read widely, but I just realized it exposed me that I have assumptions. I have lenses through which I interpret reality. And that humbled me to realize that as I leave this world, I'm shaped by certain things. And once I'm aware of them, then I can ask the right questions. I can be aware of my own assumptions as I go forth and try and live my faith. And that I've never really looked back. Or the Lord has really borne with me after that. If you had one sentence, which is probably all we've got time for, what's, what gets you out of bed in the morning? It's the hope I see in Jesus and using us as me playing my role, as, as the hands and feet of Jesus to make him known in daily works of service to other people, demonstrating his love to other people. And so in the place where I am, not only do I do that as an individual, but uh, uh, empowering, training, um, letting other people know that Christ's hands and feet are actually Christians in this world. And it's the church that demonstrates his love. The church is the window through which people see God's purposes for the world, for the church. So the church is a window through which people will see God's intentions for the world. So playing a role in that journey just excites me when I hear the stories of what churches are doing, what Christians are doing, just when they obey the call of Christ on their lives in daily small actions or big actions. Carol Beard and Jogo there, encouraging us in our role to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We now travel to the Middle East and some mission partners who need to remain anonymous, living in a country where Christian faith is very much in a minority. They've recently returned to live there full-time after a spell in the UK and are involved in English teaching and Bible translation, essential if faith is to be grown in the language of the heart. Jeremy Woodham asked them what it was like to be back. It's quite interesting. We're seeing changes in, in, in where we are. That It used to be more conservative than it is now in that women could not go out on their own after sunset at all. But now it seems, yes, women can go out after sunset for at least an hour. On the other hand, we sometimes see more local um, traditional dress because this is a sign of the, the nationalism that people have. Instead of wearing the Western dress, they're wearing the traditional one more. I know you're working as part of a, a new team now, is that right? Uh, since you've come back, or a slightly different team? 
if that's really with an eye to the future, um, the old team uh, is still finishing off the original project, except that uh, we've lost one guy who joined the general rush to Europe and in coming back is still not really with us yet again. But the new team came about because we needed residents in the city, we needed to test mm. the translation. The Bible Society didn't have an office there, and so um, I was kind of adopted by SIL, which we're grateful for. And that may also be appointed to the future because in getting to know their team, they're working on a different mm. language. And if this project comes to an end, as it is currently slated mm. to come to an end at the end of February, if realistic, which needs prayer because we never keep our deadlines, then uh, I would then go into language study mm. for another language. And this next language is more difficult than the one we're in and has more of a problem even than the current one with variations. So a challenge to look forward to. Yes, to yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But how much, I'm wondering, what's the scale of Bible translation? Are they, are they the projects that are currently going on or is there more uh, around the place? There, there are currently uh, four Bible translation projects ongoing in Kurdish languages and there are at least another, another four languages that could be translated. I mean, the fifth one is this language I'm mentioning that we may move into in March. Uh, so far with that, they've just got the Jesus film at the end of last year, and so far the Book of Jonah. Initial testing of the Book of Jonah uh, wasn't promising. A lot of people didn't understand it, and that's the challenge we're up against. In terms of not understanding what? Well, for example, uh, the people when asked, even though the, the translation was played back to them and, and repeated... And they had the idea that uh, after Jonah uh, was thrown into the sea, the sailors just went back to worshipping the same gods they were worshipping before. And although that's not my current project, I made a suggestion as to a possible reason, because um, there's uh, a name of, for God. When we say Lord, there's been a name used in the church, which most Muslims uh, use for pagan gods. So I suggested that might have been part of the problem. Because we're, we're, we're having to deal with all kinds of issues, um, you know, in neighbouring languages. And, for example, there are 60 names of God in the Old Testament alone. And some of these names for God, you know, you have to find them. Are, do they have names in the culture or not? And what are their associations? And unfortunately, the, the church, which got planted in the early 1990s, took on a name for Lord, which the Muslim press are now using for pagan gods. So we're going to be using a different word when we publish our current project. Where you are is a place where people are coming to as refugees and also people are leaving. What's your perspective from where you're sitting? Um, people coming in, um, the first waves of people coming in uh, really needed to come. You know, they were under threat and in some cases had very short notice to leave their homes. But people going out is a different story, and this is really where we'd like to ask for prayer, because in many cases, people have gone out who are not in situations where their lives are under threat, but they're simply taking the chance to get to Europe. And this can have very negative effects, particularly for believers. As soon as you get involved with a people smuggler, you may be involved in deceit, in following illegal routes, which are dangerous. And we've had the case of even... A believer's child being drowned because of 
rushing off onto this sort of people smuggler organized route. The thing is also that surviving in the secular West can actually be more inimical or more damaging to their faith than facing outright persecution where they are. And in many cases where they are isn't really outright persecution, it's, it's more of a kind of sense of being trapped. So, for example, the church plant in the 1990s was mainly young men because they had the freedom to go out and discuss and meet people. Mm-hmm. Whereas women were under more restrictions, the result being that there are not enough Christian women to marry in the church. So some people are going to Europe trying to find a Christian wife, which is something you can't put on a visa application form. Some people just claim that they can't travel officially. You know, in Britain you, you have a passport and you can travel, but things are much more complicated in the Middle East in terms of getting security clearance mm. to travel. So they resort to people smugglers. And some people have been sent back. Um, Particularly recently, we've had people sent back from Greece and Germany who've been through the discipleship process in the church. And their experiences are kind of salutary, one might say. Unfortunately for me, a colleague who's helped in translation has come back in body, having been sent back by the Greek police. But he's not really with us in spirit. You know, he's mentally disturbed by what he went through in the journey, where he nearly drowned. When he left, his brothers um, said to him, about time you left. And when he came back, they said, pity you didn't drown. So you can imagine, you know, what it's like for a believer living in a house of non-believers when your belief goes against the current of the culture. And the previous person who worked on the Old Testament was in a similar situation. He lived with his Muslim relatives. In in our culture, you cannot leave home uh, until you get married. Even if you're well into your 30s, you're an adult, or even older, it's a shame on your family. At the same time, they don't like the fact you become a Christian. So they're saying, well, go to Germany uh, or come back to Islam, but don't shame us. Do pray for the end stages of the translation project mentioned, which was scheduled to be completed this month, and for these mission partners as they seek God's guidance for their next steps. Pray too for all the refugees in the region, and for those tempted to leave for Europe, even though it may not be the best option for them. We return to those same mission partners now for our reflection slot. It was such a fascinating interview that we wanted to use more of it. Here they are reflecting on how their situation, affected by war with Islamic radicalisation at its root, connects with the book of Jeremiah. The war was created by the bringing into being of a group that were radical, and although people don't like it, they needed an alternative way of thinking. Now, some of the traditional Christians, I'm not talking about churches planted in the 1990s, but churches going back hundreds of years, for survival had adopted a policy of not witnessing to Muslims. And this is very unfortunate, understandable as it might be, because the gospel message wasn't getting out and people weren't hearing an alternative to the radical stuff they were getting. And um, in the case of Jeremiah, he's in a situation where, you know, a people that was supposed to be reflecting God's image and attracting people in had hidden the light and in lots of ways departed from the standards they were supposed to be following. And Jeremiah many times was <laughs> had to say something from God that the people didn't respond to. 
when they were sent into exile, the false prophets were saying, it'll only be a short time and, you, and you'll, you'll be back soon. But God was saying through Jeremiah, no, uh, settle down, plant vineyards, get married, seek the good and prosperity of the city you are in and pray for it. And that's really the kind of attitude that we need if we're going to build anything because ultimately God is bringing about his plan even for the parts of the world that are really in turmoil. We've got plenty of evidence of that. I mean, for example, in Syria, as a result of the civil war, the church has now been planted among the Kurds. Before they were under strict control from Damascus, the Syrian army withdrew from the north. And in those few years since, when they've, they've been able to be autonomous, the church has been planted, unimpeded, nobody stopping them, and they've been growing leaders and having discipleship, and people have been willing to take risks to get teaching. Granted, some of them have become refugees and left because they the economic hardship, but even they have stayed faithful and met together. Similarly with uh, other countries, you know, when you find a situation where people are being moved, God can speak to people. When they're in this upheaval, they start looking at things again. There are plenty of people who have been put off by the atrocities that have occurred and are asking questions and wanting really to know the truth. And so we've got to share it with them. If we hide it to keep ourselves safe, the result will be even worse than what we have now. Mission partners from the Middle East bringing this month's audio mission to a close with a story of how new believers are being nurtured among previously unreached groups in that region. Thank you for praying with us about all these issues and stories, and we hope that you'll join us next time for more Global Voices of God's Mission.